This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly podcast, you will get the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, and baseball from HOL's Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppen, Nate Klaus, and Greg Peterson. Now, here's your host, HuskerOnline.com publisher, Sean Callahan. Well, after a week on the road, we're back here on the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Finally back in Lincoln, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus as we start off this week's show with a lot of movement in the recruiting cycle, Nate, as uh, Nebraska, you know, getting some commits and, and, and things are really moving. Uh, obviously, it started when we were out in Los Angeles with the commitment of Quayshawn Alexander, and, and it continued with a commitment from tight end Jack Stoll out of Colorado. Yeah, Huskers pick up uh, Jack Stoll, who picked Nebraska over Texas. Uh, so a big, big commitment there, position of need. Um, you know, and, and again, Nebraska is being able to go into Colorado and, and pick one of the top players out of the state. And uh, they could likely add the, another top player out of the state in JoJo Doman by the week's end. Yeah, you look at the the tight end position, and I feel like there are just so many players in this class that are on the board or already in the boat that kind of fit the the tight end, defensive end mold. And uh, Stahl's another one of those guys. But it leads me to my next question, Nate. We, we, we talked about this, I know, off air, but there's a lot of questions about the commitment status of Lincoln Christian's Jared Bubach. Yeah, you know, the commitment of Stoll really shouldn't impact Bubak because they've been pretty upfront from day one that they're going to take two tight ends in this class. Uh, but, you know, right now, uh, you know, Bubak's status with this class is, is certainly up in the air. Uh, you know, just his uh, his lack of presence uh, around certain events, um, you know, and, and take obviously taking a visit out to Arizona State and everything leads you to believe that maybe he's leaning more towards that way. Uh, I think that we'll find out De- uh, definitively here, you know, uh, in, in the next week or two, exactly where Jared Bubak's going to end up. Now, the most interesting thing I found out about Bubak was he in- did indeed intend a Big Red weekend, and that was something that we had not been able to confirm. Um, the, the lines of communication have been shut down, whether it's text messages, Twitter direct messages, phone calls. Uh, we have not been able to really interact with Jared uh, for the last several weeks, but he was at Big Red Weekend uh, when they did the part where the kids put on the jerseys and took pictures and whatnot. Um, he was the only guy, I'm told, that didn't put on his jersey and, and take pictures with the other guys. And if I'm looking at it from my perspective, that's a big red flag in its own right. A pretty big tall tale sign there that uh, maybe he's not all the way in, uh, at least not the way that Nebraska's coaches uh, would like. Uh, you know, like I said, his status right now, I think, is all in his own hands. Nebraska, I feel, has done everything that they can do at this point in time. And, um, you know, I, I think that ideally you'd like to know one way or the other so that you could move on and, and maybe start looking at uh, maybe another tight end in this class. Let's go back over to Jack Stalls. We, we look at tight ends. And number one, just the importance of getting into Colorado. Um, we both think JoJo Doman's going to be a commit as well. So that's two of the top three this year. The previous year, Avery Anderson, Eric Lee, the top two players in Colorado. Um, it's pretty impressive, Nate. Nebraska has been able to kind of reestablish that foothold in Colorado. And that was always a state. I, I want to go back to even the Solich years and maybe even the Osborne years, but particularly Solich's guys, they always would get those top guys in Colorado and with the Buffaloes kind of still trying to get back um, it really is a free state to go in there and take. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's a free for all uh, in that state. And, I, you know, the Buffaloes don't carry the same type of clout that they used to. Uh, so it's perfect time to kind of get your foot in the door. And that's exactly what Nebraska is doing. You know, if they add Stoll, uh, which they did today, and then uh, Doman by the end of the week, uh, like you said, top two, top three guys there. And then uh, for next year, they've already had the top two players for 2017 visit uh, this summer. Is Santino Marshall is a linebacker, who's arguably going to be the top player in the state. And then Christian Cumber is a cornerback, um, you know, out of uh, Mullen High School uh, that I, that visited, came to uh, Friday Night Lights, did Big Red Weekend, uh, and could very well end up with a Nebraska offer sooner than later too. So all of a sudden, you're talking about over three years pulling six of the top guys uh, in each one of those classes. Quite impressive. Yeah, I don't think it's a state that a lot of Power Five programs outside of the University of Colorado go into and put the time in. A lot of people just do spot recruiting where they maybe go to one or two schools. But I, I think Nebraska, with what they're building, they can really uh, benefit off this from years to come um, and, and try to cherry pick two to three guys a year. The proximity, you know, to Colorado is is huge for Nebraska. You have seen other programs like Arizona State has had some recent success in the state. Um, you know, I know UCLA has had somewhat of a presence out there. Stanford picking up uh, uh, Christian McCaffrey the other year uh, out of there. You know, those other Pac-12 schools have started to realize that that the state is kind of up for grabs as well. But uh, again, you go back to Nebraska and look at what they've been able to do. Uh, you know, and and really with Eric Lee and Avery Anderson, the type of class out that they carry within that state you know a lot of those prospects have taken notice of of what of where they've gone and and uh, certainly will be watching to see how they do as freshmen here at nebraska another guy that we haven't talked about but is also close to maybe being a commit is linebacker greg simmons out of florida um, he decommitted from miami um, so you know that ball's kind of in motion he's come up here um, I, I think it's only a matter of time, Nate, when he might join the class. Yeah, really, you could say any day, any hour, any minute, I think that he's uh, very close to announcing a decision, and, and I would be shocked if it's not Nebraska. His relationship with Trent Bray is on another level, and uh, again, you know, following his visit to Nebraska, you know, he described uh, the program as utopia, uh, which, you know, I've never heard a kid say anything remotely close to that before, but uh, he is absolutely, uh, you you know, in love with uh, with Nebraska, with the program, and and he calls uh, Coach Bray, you know, the type of coach that, that he looks at as a mentor, uh, and that uh, he's wise beyond his years, is what Greg Simmons told me. So uh, he he's very excited uh, about the opportunity to play with Trent Bray. Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus, we're, we're talking recruiting storylines. There's been a lot here uh, this past week, and it's only going to continue, I think, through the month of June and to that 4th of July holiday when things will go dead for a few weeks where coaches won't be allowed uh, to make visit or have campus visitors or anything like that. So uh, this is a very important stretch, Nate. Um, when you look at the numbers for Nebraska, what do you still see as big needs? I mean, it seems like linebacker and tight end are in the right direction. Quarterbacks, obviously, in the right direction. Running back has their guy. Where do you think the big needs are at this point? At this point in time, I think offensive tackle is a huge question mark. Uh, you know, certainly they're in on a couple of, uh, you know, their top targets, especially Matt Farniak out of South Dakota, uh, who might, you know, be the, the top overall target on their entire board. Um, you know, defensive end is another question mark. You know, you'd like to see Noah Fant uh, possibly make a decision sooner than later and, and help shore up that, that spot. And then, um, you know, probably wide receiver. You know, Keith Williams has done an excellent job, you know, 
getting in the door with with a number of these guys, but you haven't seen um, you know a, a ton of those players visit Nebraska, and I think that's what's going to that's what it's going to take for a lot of those kids is to actually get them on campus before you can uh, you know seal the deal with some of the big time wide receivers that Keith Williams is in on. And so when you look at it, Nate, there there should be a lot of opportunities I think to bring guys in. Uh, you know, the opener is going to be Labor Day weekend, a uh, 2:30 game. You have South Alabama and Michigan State both as night games later on in the year. Uh, Wisconsin, we know, is going to be a marquee weekend. So lots of big home games um, where they can bring a, a number of players in and, and some of these receiver targets and other guys out there. You hope they stay on the boards long enough that you can get them here for visits. And that's that's the key right now is is uh, keeping in touch uh, with those guys over the summer months, over that dead period, you know, and, and making sure that they are uh, still on the board. And, and, and really, you'd like to see them lock in some of these visits right now, if at all possible. Uh, that way, uh, you know, you kind of have them committed to, to something um, at this point in time. But uh, there's no question that, that I think the, the Michigan State and that Wisconsin game have been two games that a lot of recruits have talked to me about, you know, wanting to come visit for. And uh, especially those West Coast guys, I know uh, Keyshawn Johnson Jr., uh, Darnay Holmes, uh, you know, even Michael Pittman uh, and some other players like that have, have talked about, you know, wanting to make it in for one or those uh, one of those two games right there. Uh, so, again, those, those are going to be huge recruiting weekends and, um, you know, certainly weekends where you could build a lot of momentum up with. Well, Fourth of July is kind of that midterm point of recruiting and we're approaching that time. When you look at what Mike Riley and his staff has done, your midterm overall evaluation, would you say that they've met what you were looking for, maybe even exceeded it? Are they still have some areas that they need to, to work on? What would be your overall thoughts, Nate, on, on kind of where they're at maybe heading into that 4th of July midterm point of recruiting? I'd say they've met or exceeded my expectations. If you, you go back uh, to the beginning of May, they're sitting there with three commitments, and now uh, they're at 11, and probably by the end of the week could very well be at 13 commitments. Uh, you know, they've locked up two quarterbacks that have really, uh, you know, blossomed, you know, over the last two or three months. Uh, you know, both Patrick O'Brien and Terry Wilson have kind of gone from uh, either unknowns or, or, you know, barely on the radar type of recruits to, to being, you know, two of the better overall quarterback prospects in the country, especially, you know, Patrick O'Brien with all the accolades that he's racked up lately, uh, being an Elite 11 finalist. So uh, I think they're doing very well on that front, uh, you know, to, to be, you know, pretty much, you know, close to being halfway done by the by 4th of July, I think is exactly where you'd want to be. Well, much more to, to come here in the HuskerOnline.com podcast, and definitely we'll hear more from Nate here um, on the site and obviously in next week's podcast as the recruiting storylines are not slowing down for the foreseeable future. We'll hear from both Dan Hoppen and Robin Washett as well as interviews from offensive coordinator Danny Langstorff and secondary coach Brian Stewart here in the podcast next. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the HuskerOnline.com podcast. After a week off uh, as we were on the road for the satellite camps, pleased to bring back into the program HOL's Robin Washett and Dan Hoppen as uh, we, we cruise here through the dog days of summer, guys. But uh, we had a chance on the road to, to catch up with a lot of the assistant coaches and one of the interviews that we're going to hear in this segment is offensive coordinator Danny Langstorff, who kind of remains a mystery with Husker fans as far as what kind of offense he's going to run and and what kind of tendencies he's going to have at Nebraska. 
I think, you know, as we're learning more and more about him, uh, what we're finding out is that uh, I don't think he quite knows exactly what he's going to do in his first season here. I think that they're still trying to figure out the strengths of this team and uh, the plan, uh, as far as what I've been able to gather, is that, uh, you know, they're gonna, just going to uh, utilize uh, the, the, the best talents they have and uh, kind of work with what they have until as they continue to, you know, bring in talent that maybe better fits uh, what they want to do in the long run. Yeah, the coaches have said all along that they're not going to force, you know, Nebraska's current personnel into any certain system. They're going to try and kind of meld the system that they've used over the past couple of years with Nebraska's talent and maybe have kind of a some kind of a hybrid type of offense. You know, they they have mentioned that they'd like to use the quarterback running game a little bit more. That's something that they couldn't really do up at Oregon State with guys like Sean Mannion. So you know, it's going to be really interesting three or four years down the line to kind of see what this offense looks like if they kind of go back to, you know, that uh, more of a West Coast kind of quick passing offense or if they kind of keep some of those elements of the spread. Well, let's hear from Danny Langstorp. I had a chance to catch up with Nebraska's offensive coordinator earlier last week in Dallas. Coach Langstorp, first of all, when you go to these satellite camps, what are you really looking for as the offensive coordinator and the quarterbacks coach? We're looking at a lot of a lot of different kids. You know, we've got some names from schools that we're recruiting. Um, you know, we're, and we're checking all the positions. We uh, we've found a lot of kids kind of in the past at at camps like this where we've had a chance to work them out. Might have known a little bit about them uh, from their high school coach, but you get to take them through some drills and. And, and coach them like you'd coach them at our place. So it's it's valuable to be able to be out here and looking at a lot of different kids. As an offensive coordinator, do you recruit just the quarterbacks for Nebraska? Or have you been pretty busy doing a lot of area recruiting this spring and summer as well? Yeah, a little bit of both. Um, I'll, I'll work with the quarterbacks at the camps, but I'll kind of roam around and, and check out the different positions. You know, I like to watch the receivers and I'll, I might take a little uh, spin down to the, to the offensive line. Um, but you know, I'll try to do most of my most of my focus is checking out the quarterbacks first, and then from there, just kind of watching each each other position on offense. You know, when you came to Nebraska and Coach Riley, everyone kind of looked at what you guys have done with quarterbacks and the pro style and the development you've had. Uh, what do you see for Nebraska's future? Do, I mean, do you see it going pro style, or, or do you like that dual threat option uh, with quarterbacks who can maybe do some of the zone reading things? I think a little bit of both. You know, I think um, there's definitely a, an element of of option football that's that's tough to defend and I think that's something that we're liking to explore um, we've we've got some real roots in the in a pro style system but um, you know we're, we're mixing a little bit more shotgun and we're we're kind of evolving with what we've done in the run game so we kind of like to play our system off of who we have um, if we have a real running threat then he'll run more you know if we've got a big drop back thrower then then we'll do that more so we're going to we're going to play to our strengths, but when we're looking for a kid, um, you know, we're, we're, we're wanting to make sure that he can make all the throws. He's an accurate thrower. Um, you know, we like that athleticism for sure. I think that's an added bonus, but we're, you know, first and foremost, we want, we want a guy that can complete passes and, and have the arm strength to make the throws. Who do you really go to for advice for the option? Since it's, it's such a new thing for you, I mean, are there some coaches that you've talk to or film that you've studied of teams to, to learn more about the option in the zone read? You know, I think we've studied a lot of teams. Um, we took a little bit in the offseason uh, from Minnesota and Seattle in the NFL just with what they've done with some athletic quarterbacks. Um, you know, we don't want to get guys hit a bunch, and and I think if you look at those two systems, they 
they run their quarterback, uh, but not a ton. But they certainly he he he's durable too. He didn't you know doesn't get hurt, doesn't get hit all the time. So uh, we studied those guys pretty well. Um, we we've taken a little bits and pieces from a lot of different teams, but we we always are are trying to improve and and study film and and look at something that we can implement in our system to make it better. So we're always kind of on the on the hunt for for uh, a wrinkle that we can add. And final question here, Coach, uh, just your thoughts on Tommy Armstrong and how far maybe he's come over the spring and as the summer conditioning period's begun. Yeah, I like where he's at. He, you know, it, it, for all of the guys, it was a, a pretty dramatic change in terms of terminology and, and verbiage. And just, you know, as we're going through and, and, and teaching it, I think initially we were a little slow to get, to, to get started. But I thought after that spring break, uh, that kind of the halfway point of spring ball, I, I thought we really made some strides. And I think Tommy uh, got more comfortable in, in what he was doing and, and who he was supposed to look at and his footwork. And so I, I look forward to him, uh, you know, having a great summer and getting ready to go in fall camp. Well, Coach, it's been great seeing you in action at these satellite camps, and we'll look forward to seeing you back in Lincoln. Sounds good. All right, Nebraska Offensive Coordinator Danny Langstorff joining us here in Dallas. Some interesting stuff there, guys, from Danny Langstorff, uh, just getting a, a chance to, to hear him talk about you know what they've done with the offense and even uh, the implementing of, of the running game which is something new to them you heard him say that they've talked with the Seattle Seahawks or looked at Seattle Seahawks film and even uh, the Minnesota Vikings so you get the sense that they know they're gonna have to run the ball and I, I think when you look at the quarterbacks Nebraska has recruited Patrick O'Brien doesn't come off as a runner but he can run uh, Terry Wilson ran a 4-5-40 at Nebraska satellite camp he's a dynamic athlete um, so you, you get the sense that, you know, maybe they, they want to recruit some uh, dual threat quarterbacks, even though it wasn't in the arsenal for them necessarily at Oregon State. Yeah, and you kind of get the sense, uh, you know, the, just kind of talk what we were talking about earlier, how they're still trying to figure out exactly what they want to do. And now with these two quarterbacks they have coming in, they're leaving themselves options. I mean, you obviously have an elite 11, you know, guy that's maybe defined more as a pocket passer and O'Brien. But like you said, Wilson uh, is a completely different animal as far as just the athleticism he brings to that position. And so uh, it, it clearly shows that, you know, not only this season is the quarterback's position still kind of uh, in flux for what the long term look of it's going to be but uh, it's, it's going to be that way for down the road until one of those guys eventually emerges yeah I think this next year or two and kind of how the offense is able to work under Tommy is going to influence a lot of what these coaches want to do in the future I do want to point out though I mean with a guy like Terry Wilson I mean he's obviously a fantastic athlete like Sean mentioned with his 40 yard dash and everything but this kid can throw too it's not like he's just an athlete out there playing quarterback you know I think you know a lot of people would want to make maybe Taylor Martinez comparisons or something, but this guy's got an arm. He can pass it as well. It was interesting uh, talking to Jeff Quinn, a former Nebraska quarterback who started for the Huskers in 79 and 80. He was in Dallas to watch Terry Wilson, and Jeff Quinn played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's one of Terry Bradshaw's best friends, so he knows the quarterback position. He said, I see a young Turner Gill when I look at Terry Wilson, and that was an interesting analogy and. I don't know which one I like better. I'll be honest. I, I think they both bring uh, uh, br bring it. And by the way, Dan, uh, O'Brien is a barbecue fan. but he, he <laughs> That's said, my kind of guy right there. He said that they were excited to see that Lincoln had a Dickies barbecue. And I go, oh, oh man, no. No, 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 no. When he gets up here, 
Hell to see what real barbecue first is First interview, like. you need to go and give him a lesson or two uh, once he finally gets on campus. Now, they were sushi fans, and they said Lincoln surprisingly had some good sushi, and they threw out one, uh, Ginger. They said Ginger oh, yeah. was, a, and I have not been there yet, but they, they were, I got, God, you guys ventured out south, and you got around Lincoln a lot better than most people I know would. Really taken in the culture of Lincoln. So they're both great kids, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing them. Uh, we'll have more interviews here with the staff from the satellite camp later on here in the show. Uh, we'll hear from secondary coach Brian Stewart as well as uh, we'll give our takes on the ranking in the Big Ten series that we've compiled here on Husker Online. Uh, we'll, we'll break down uh, Nebraska and, and the ranking of the Big Ten series next here on the podcast. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Well, preseason uh, college football magazines have hit the newsstand and full circle. And one of the things that we like to do every year on HuskerOnline.com is kind of the preseason magazine theme of ranking the Big Ten. It's been something that we've done probably for over 10 years on the site. And um, it just kind of gives you a snapshot of, of what the league has and um, you know, sometimes there's players that come back. They're like, "Wow, he's back again," or uh, maybe another new name emerges. And it's something that both Dan Hoppen and Robin Washett uh, helped us comprise here as we got together as a staff and uh, put these together. And I uh, wanted to kind of break down the Big Ten on offense right now when you look at it. And I think, guys, when you uh, break down the league, it starts with quarterback position. You've got maybe three of the best four NFL prospects available. Um, and Connor Cook of Michigan State, Christian Hackberg at Penn State, Cardell Jones at Ohio State, and then the other guy that's getting NFL praise right now is Cody Kessler at USC. And uh, Nebraska has seen all these guys other than Cardell Jones. Uh, it's an impressive group when you break down these Big Ten quarterbacks. Yeah, and it's especially crazy to think. I mean, if you just rank the top five quarterbacks in the Big Ten, three of them might play for Ohio State when you've got Praxis Miller coming back and, and JT Barrett both coming back off of injuries. You know, we talk about Cardell Jones being potentially one of the best pro prospects in the country. He might not even be their starter next year. It's it's crazy. Um, but, yeah, you, you know, you look at the overall depth in the Big Ten. I know that uh, the Big Ten has had that, that long streak of having no first-round quarterback pick. So I think that's definitely going to be broken with Connor Cook, potentially with Cardell Jones. If Christian Hackenberg can look more like he did his freshman year than last year, the Big Ten could have two or three quarterbacks picked early. And Tommy Armstrong, Robin, is someone that, you know, he's not obviously in that top tier, but he kind of maybe leads the second tier right now, the Big Ten guys. I would certainly put him in the top half of the league. And uh, I think the reason why we didn't put him at the fifth spot is, you know, for one, we didn't want to put three quarterbacks from one team. Because on it's list. unrealistic. <laughs> I know. So, yeah. And we had a couple of knuckleheads on the board that said, well, you can't have three of the five yeah, because they're not all going to play. Two of them aren't going to play. Yeah. I don't care how good you are. If you're a third-string quarterback, you don't make the list. And so you, you take that out, and you look at what Tommy's done. I mean, the the numbers aren't you know the greatest thing ever, but you know, he's going to be a three-year star, third-year starter. Over 20 you know, wins. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the guy, you know, it's not the prettiest thing ever, but he's gotten it done. Uh, and so I think that going into this season, I mean, you can certainly put him uh, in that certainly upper half. And uh, as the season progresses and maybe he actually acclimates more to this new system, uh, he could maybe make a few more jumps up that list. Now, one position, though, Dan, that the Big Ten doesn't have a lot coming back other than Ezekiel Elliott is running back. I mean, this league was loaded at running back last year. Maybe the best year of running back we've seen in a long time in any conference as far as prospects go, draft picks, etc. Amir Abdullah, Melvin Gordon, David Cobb, 
the guy at Indiana whose name just escaped me. Tevin, Tevin Coleman. Coleman. Uh, Jeremy Langford. I mean, you can go down the list. Mm-hmm. It was a dream team of running backs. Uh, next year won't quite be the same, but you, you know it's kind of a reload position. Yeah, well, you mentioned Ezekiel Elliott. He might be the best back in the country. Obviously, he's right up there. He's money. You know, after that, you start looking at a guy like Corey Clement and Wisconsin. You know, they, Wisconsin just kind of churns through running backs. It'll be interesting to see if Clement can keep that going. Nebraska fans certainly remember what Justin Jackson can do. He had a very good first half, um, the Northwestern running back. A guy to keep an eye on, um, you know, that we didn't really even notice until we started doing these lists is a guy named Jordan Howard, who transferred into Indiana. He left UAB's program after the program was originally disbanded. I mean, this guy, he's he rushed for over 1,000 yards last 1500. year. 1,500. Yeah, 1,587 yards as a junior last season. So he's a really talented player. And, you know, as we saw last year, Indiana might not be the most talented offensive team, but they can clear some holes for some guys. And he might be able to have kind of a – you know, a sleeper kind of season. What What's interesting is this is the first time Nebraska really hasn't had a guy that you could make a case for in a long time. You think about Rex Burkhead and Roy Hallou and Amir Abdullah. They've had a run of really every running back that's played at Nebraska since the 90s has gone on to the NFL. And this is the first time we don't know who that guy is going to be. Now, there's definitely potential with Newby and Adam Taylor and Mikel Wilbon. Uh, to be maybe an NFL player down the road, but it's not clear cut at this point. Yeah, and I, you know, I think if we redo these lists in December, you know, that certainly could change. Uh, you know, obviously the, the reason we didn't put Nebraska guys on there is because none of them had an opportunity because Amir Abdullah has been uh, sharing the spotlight. But one thing I'm interested to watch is uh, Corey Clement at Wisconsin. You know, obviously was talk about a run of running backs. Uh, Wisconsin's had as good as any in college football. But uh, you know, not only is this going to be his first year as a starter, he's got an offensive line at Wisconsin that may be the thinnest. Uh, it's been uh, in a long, long time. Great like, point. Yeah, yeah, since Brent Bielma was there. And so, another coach. So I'm curious to see how that Wisconsin running game uh, changes or is impacted at all by uh, not only the, a new running back, but an offensive line that is, certainly isn't as good as it has been in previous years. And whoever is Minnesota's guy this year at running back, I look for that running back to be one of the better guys in the league. I just think the system they're running there um, really breeds to running back success. So uh, that will be interesting. Uh, Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppen, and Robin Washett were uh, talking Big Ten here as far as ranking uh, on offense. And you move over to wide receiver. Um, this is in tight end. We'll, we'll combine both of them in here. It's it's a position group where you know Nebraska is right there with the Mornay personnel, Jordan Westerkamp. Uh, but, you know, it, Rutgers and, and some other teams, Robin, have some really good receivers coming back in this league. Yeah, I know we caught a lot of heat for not having Jordan Westerkamp on there. And, uh, you know, I certainly don't disagree with those saying that he should have made the list. But the fact of the matter is the Big Ten has just some big bodied NFL caliber type wide receivers across the league. I mean, uh, we had Leonte Carew from Rutgers, who uh, surprised a lot of people by not going pro in this past draft. And so he's back. He's clearly the number one in my mind. Uh, Deshaun Hamilton from Penn State he's another huge guy that uh, really started to click with Hackenberg and I think if those two can get a chemistry going both of those guys are going to uh, boost their it's pretty clear stock. cut though one two on those mm-hmm. guys right Absolutely. right but then you know you got Michael Thomas from Ohio State and uh, you know Danny Anthrop from Purdue I think that fifth spot is probably you know if I, if I were to do it over again I think I may put Westerkamp over Danny uh, Anthrop it's but. hard just not to get the Ohio State guys though they're also talented. They're yeah, all highlight, and, and they can do what they want. I mean, those receivers at Ohio State can 
start for 95% of teams in the country. Yeah, and I don't think there's a position group that we rank that didn't have an Ohio State guy on there. And If, if there were, they were few and far between. Well, actually, one of the ones that did was tight end. That <laughs> well, was, there you go. That was one of the few positions where there wasn't at least one Ohio State guy. But it really, when you look at this group right now, you got a lot of guys who kind of look the part, but it's been overwhelm- or, excuse me, underwhelming uh, on the production side of things. Uh, you know, you look at like a Josiah Price from Michigan State, Jake Butt from Michigan, uh, Dan Vitell is a Northwestern guy that has kind of moved around all over H-back the place. Almost. Yeah, but he's still productive. Yes, he is. He's he's very productive. He's the most productive of any guy on this list. But I mean, I think you look at a guy like Seathan Carter, and if he lives up to expectations and is used as much in this offense as we think he might be under Danny Langsdorf and Mike Riley, he could jump up this list and easily be number one or two, you know, like you said, Robin, if we re-ranked these things mm-hmm. in December. As we close off here, guys, uh, we'll offensive line briefly from you. Uh, Brandon Sheriff gone from the Big Ten, Outland Trophy winner. Um, this is never a position of concern in the Big Ten. I mean, the Big Ten just breeds linemen. It puts out great linemen year after year after year who are maybe one or two of the top linemen in this league. I'll start with Jack Conklin from Michigan State, uh, but I know Ohio State and some other teams have some great ones to come back to watch as well. Yeah, Taylor Decker from Ohio State probably has uh, as good of an argument as any to be bumped up to number one. Uh, you know, he's another first-round NFL surefire guy. And, uh, you know, add in Pat uh, Elf Elflin from Ohio State, the guard. Uh, Eflane, I, I Eflane. believe it's pronounced. Yeah, but, but, but one thing that stood out, you know, both of those offensive tackles and guard centers list, it was Michigan, Ohio State, 1-2. So mm-hmm. uh, you, you wonder why they're the two, you know, cream of the crop in the Big Ten, and uh, you get, it all starts up front. Any comments on offensive line names to watch, Dan? I think the one other guy, other than the guys that you've mentioned so far, is, uh, well, like Robin said, another Michigan State guy, Jack Allen, the center for the Spartans. He was a finalist for the Remington Award last year. This is going to be his fourth year as a starter. He's obviously done a great job um, kind of uh, helping Connor Cook to control that offense the last couple of years, and there's no reason to think he'd drop off this year. When we come back here in the program, we'll, we'll continue our conversation later on here in the show with defense, but we're going to hear from secondary coach Brian Stewart from Nebraska. We caught up with the former Dallas Cowboy defensive coordinator in Dallas. That's next here on the podcast. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We're back here on the HOL podcast. Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppen, and Robin Washett as we continue uh, this June edition as we gear up for the big 4th of July weekend here next week. Uh, But we had a chance to catch up with Nebraska's secondary coach, Brian Stewart, earlier this week, guys, and he's one of the more intriguing uh, hires on the staff. I know when Charlton Warren left, a lot of people were worried because Warren was such a great recruiter and did a lot for Nebraska, but you look at the resume of Brian Stewart. I mean, this is a guy that was the defensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. He's got years of NFL experience, years of major college experience, and I think he is one of the more sleeper hires on the staff uh, when Mike Riley brought him in late. Yeah, when you know not only do kids notice that on the recruiting front when you have a resume like that but uh, guys on the team. I mean when you're on the practice field coaching guys up and uh, you have the, the background of being an NFL defensive coordinator uh, on your title then I think kids are going to you know maybe uh, soak things up a little bit more and uh, you know really listen to what you have to say because obviously uh, if you're a guy like that you you know what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I think the most important thing here for Nebraska is to actually get Brian Stewart to stick around for a couple of years because <laughs> That'd be nice, yeah. They've just it, 
not that Stewart moves around a whole lot, but just the turnover at that position at Nebraska has been crazy over the past couple of years. Uh, when you go through Terry Joseph and Corey Raymond and, and Marvin Sanders and just name after name after name, you, you just almost feel for these defensive backs who are working on their third or fourth position coach. Hopefully Brian Stewart is a guy who can be here, you know, for at least, you know, somewhat long term. Well, here's our entire interview. I had a chance to get an exclusive one on one with Coach Stewart earlier this past week in Dallas. First of all, we're back in your town here. You, you had some history here in Dallas. Uh, you defensive coordinator with the Dallas Cowboys. I'm sure it's good for you to get back out here and maybe reconnect with a few people. Yeah, yeah, no, it was it was awesome coming back. Uh, I did not drive by my own house, but I did uh, go get some Lockhart uh, barbecue. So I felt pretty good about that. <laughs> and a little Papa Do's I heard. Oh, too. yeah, for sure. You had, oh, that was my first stop was Papa Do's. Well, first of all, coach, when you look at these satellite camps and, and what you get out of them, just give us an idea because you had two weeks of camp in Lincoln. But how valuable has this one week been for you guys, especially as a secondary coach here on the road? Well, you know, one of the things we started down south, you know, Miami, Atlanta, Georgia and Miami. And with that being said, there's a lot of speed down there. So we got a chance to evaluate some of the guys we saw on film. But when you get to see them live, get to get to see them do our drills, um, do the techniques that we taught them man to man or zone. You know, so that's a good evaluation, a helpful evaluation. And you were able to make some offers. You can't talk about specifics, but when you're able to get down to these and see guys that you're going to offer that maybe you couldn't get at Nebraska's camp, uh, how valuable is that? Oh, that's super valuable. You know, you got a chance to look at guys. Uh, you look at the paper, it says 5'10 or 6 feet. Now you get to see, is that 5'10, 5'10? Is that 6 feet, 6 feet? You get to evaluate height, weight, and then the speed, and as well as, as them applying their techniques that you teach them, that you taught them, rather. Now you were the last guy to, to join the staff here for Coach Riley and, and get to Lincoln. How have you settled in, and what are your thoughts now of life in Nebraska after being here for about four or five months? Uh, the first thing was the uh, the wow of the spring game. I don't think that's ever that ever could be that wow could ever be duplicated. That was that was awesome. Seventy six thousand people, and so that was exciting. Uh, after I calmed down from from the <laughs> spring game, the the next thing was just you know how it's easy living. You know I think that uh, the people really love Nebraska. They're very proud. The Nebraskan people are very proud, and I could see why. I could see the way the the, the school. The, the school handles the, the student athletes and all the support they have them and then the the, the support from the fans i think that the, the nebraska as a state is a very prideful state and i'm glad to be part of it and you've walked into a position with a good mix of talent you've got a, a lot of young guys on the up and up some two freshmen already on campus and some guys in their second year then a few veterans talk about the the group that you have to work with right now in the secondary i i think it's a it, it, you're right absolutely right it's a mixed group um, uh, two of the guys that will be starting have, have, have started before, and Daniel Davey and Nate Gary. So, so I'm excited about those two guys. And then we got some guys that have some playing experience and that are long. You know, when I say long, just as far as lengthwise, height, and as well as wingspan. So I'm excited about those. And the guys that came, the young freshman guys that came in uh, this, this uh, spring, actually, uh, to forgo their last semester of their senior year, they did an awesome job also. And being just the new coach, I mean, what, what are the challenges maybe gaining the trust of guys that have had a lot of different secondary coaches the, the last five years? All I could do really, uh, you know, you, you, it's just be it, talk about it, you know, just be there, uh, be present, and they'll trust you. You know, I'm going to make them better, and I promise I'm going to make them better, and, and I'm going to 
I'm an excellent teacher and, and I'm going to understand uh, the game of football, explain that to them as well as understanding what they're going through because most of them are away from home and, and be their friend or uncle away from home and I, I think we'll be all right. Well, Coach, it's been great seeing you on the Satellite Tour Week. We look forward to seeing you in Lincoln and, and welcome to Nebraska. Thank you. Take all care. Right. All right, guys, Nebraska head coach or Nebraska secondary coach Brian Stewart, not the head coach yet at Nebraska, but uh, thanks again to Coach Brian Stewart for joining us. And you just heard Nebraska secondary coach Brian Stewart here as I bring back in Dan Hoppin and Robin Washett. And, you know, one of the things I had a conversation with him, just kind of who would be his starters today. And he said right now, if they were healthy, Daniel Davey and Jonathan Rose would be his corners. Josh Kalu would be a nickel. And then Byerson Cockrell, Nathan Gary at safety. He's got a good mixture, though. You look at what he has to work with. You heard him talk about it, uh, the, just the youth and the experience and the veterans, um, he has to like what he has to work with here in 2015. Yeah, he might be have the both easiest and hardest job of any of those position coaches because on one hand, you have as much depth and talent uh, as any position group on the team. At the same time, you got to figure out how to get all those guys on the field mm -hmm. and know which ones uh, are going to be the right fit. So uh, certainly a, a good problem to have, and it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out. It's just such an intriguing mix because, you know, like you mentioned, I think when we look at guys, you know, some seniors like Byerson Cockrell and Daniel Davey and, and Nate Gary, or well, veterans, Nate Gary's only a junior, but we know that those three guys are going to be on the field. Those other spots are kind of wide open. You know, we could see some Aaron Williams at safety or Charles Jackson, or we could see, you know, Chris Jones, maybe even Josh Kalou at outside corner, Trey Mosley, you know, maybe even Avery Anderson and Eric Lee. There are just so many options that they have available. And what I like is the position group could survive a few injuries, and that's yep. what you want. You need that depth. But when we come back here, guys, in the program – uh, we'll we'll get, shift back our conversation into the ranking of the Big Ten. Uh, we'll close the show off as we give our thoughts on defense, and Nebraska definitely has a few players that are high on that list. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the show. It's been a great show, guys. We've heard from Danny Langstorff, Nebraska's offensive coordinator, Brian Stewart, secondary coach Nate Klaus has broken down uh, the latest in Husker recruiting, including uh, the newest commit, Jack Stoll, a tight end from Colorado. But we're going to close the show of what we talked about earlier, ranking the Big Ten series that we've done here on HuskerOnline.com. Earlier in the program, we, we heard about uh, offense in the Big Ten, and now we're going to bring back in Dan Hoppen and Robin Washett as we talk Big Ten defense and, and just some of the top players returning uh, in this conference. And uh, no surprise, uh, let's start with defensive tackle because this is where maybe Nebraska has their biggest edge in the conference uh, with Malik Collins and Vincent Valentine. Yeah, I think Nebraska's got two of the top four or five tackles in the conference right there. And Honestly, I think Kevin Williams, when healthy, would probably start for a lot of Big Ten teams. Mm -hmm. But even when you go beyond those two guys, you've still got a lot of depth here. I mean, Anthony Zettel at Penn State, very impressive season last year, 42 tackles, eight sacks. Obviously, you got to bring up your Ohio State guy. In this case, it's Adolphus Washington. He's really good. And your Ohio State guy. <laughs> well, it's, it's true, it's, though. Yeah, it, I mean, they're the national champs for a reason. And and your token Michigan State guy, too, uh, Malik McDowell is a guy who didn't play a whole lot last year but came in as a very highly regarded recruit and can play a couple different positions on that defensive line. So there's some really good depth in this conference, I think, once again, uh, really no surprise. 
I didn't want to come off as, you know, us looking like homers, but, you know, it's really hard to argue having both those Nebraska guys on that list. I mean, Colin speaks for himself, and, uh, you know, uh, you could almost make the case for Valentine maybe being a spot or two higher on mm-hmm. that list. I think he kind of gets uh, a little overshadowed uh, next to a guy like, you know, Collins, but uh, Vincent Valentine is an absolute monster. And really, when we saw that switch flipped with him, uh, when you know he was kind of getting called out by his coaches and teammates for his work ethic and uh, not putting in enough time in the weight room and all that stuff, he responded the right way. And since that moment, even with an elbow injury, uh, he's really turned it on. And I think he's got an extremely bright future. Yeah, the Iowa game, he played outstanding yes. last mm-hmm. year in Iowa City, and so did Malik Collins. I mean, they just dominated out there. And I know former defensive line coach Rick Kaczynski had to love that, getting his guys one final victory in his former job there at Iowa. But uh, defensive end – not so much a, a position of strength for Nebraska. Uh, what is coming back in the Big Ten? I think Joey Bosa at Ohio State is uh, the clear-cut guy, but what do you see, Dan, in the Big Ten right now? Well, yeah, I mean, Bosa might be not only the best defensive end, but I think one of the best players in yeah, the He's a top-five pick. He's preseason defensive player of the year, yeah, he, more than likely right now. He, he's incredible. So, obviously, it all starts with him, but – you know, you kind of go down the list. Uh, again, Ohio State and Michigan State, number two, I would say, is probably Shalit Calhoun, who's a very athletic guy, maybe always hasn't had the production to match um, some of the hype that he's had around him, but he's still been very good. And, heck, you know, Nebraska fans, they know about Drew Ott, uh, kid from, I believe, from Giltner, correct? Giltner, right. yeah. Yes, uh, and he's gone out to Iowa. He's had a very productive career, uh, had seven and a half sacks last year. He's um, Iowa's best overall player, by the way. Right I would agree now. with that. Yeah, he was great. So there's there's uh, there's pretty good depth at a defensive end in the Big Ten too. It does go beyond Joey Bosa. Yeah, Calhoun is somebody that I always thought would have a bigger year. Everyone tried to almost peg him even better than Randy Gregory last year, mm-hmm. but. When Randy Gregory was playing at his best, I think all of us would agree Randy Gregory was a better player. Uh, Calhoun just might have had the better supporting cast. Mm-hmm. I think that they they're they're kind of similar build wise, kind of both taller, a little bit leaner guys. I, Calhoun's got a little more meat on him than Gregory did, but um, yeah, I, I feel like Gregory was definitely able to put more production on the field. That's not saying you know it would surprise no one if Shalik Calhoun came out and had. 10 or 12 sacks this season. He has that kind of talent. Lawrence Thomas on the other side of that Michigan State line, it could be in for a huge year just because of the attention Calhoun's going to draw. I mean, he's going to get some one-on-one blocking matchups and uh, could really put up some numbers. Well, and if Michigan State gets a lead on teams with their offense, oh, that, that just allows that defense more opportunities to, to get sacks. But uh, Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppen, and Robin Washett were talking, ranking the Big Ten on defense. And Linebacker, on the other hand, it, it's one of those positions that is hit and miss with the Big Ten. And I think we've seen it in years where there are no line. I think last year was one of those years. On paper, you know, you lost the Borlands and the Taylors and the big name guys, um, and there weren't really anybody. There wasn't anybody with a big name coming in. What do you guys see right now and coming in at linebacker? Well, again, it's Ohio State's, uh, you know, kind of leading the way on this. And, uh, you know, it's funny because we put Joshua Perry number one, and it's really hard to argue that. He's one of the all-time leading tacklers in school history there. But uh, when you look at how the end the season ended last year, Darren Lee was playing about as well as anyone on that defense. And uh, he was a young kid that has all the swagger in the world. And uh, I, I think he's just scratching the surface with how 
good he can be. And uh, if we do this list again at the end of the season, uh, there's probably a case that we can make Darren Lee number one on that list if he keeps playing the way he was at the end of last year. And I think Michael Rose Ivy and Josh Banderas, obviously not on the list, but one of those guys by season end, Dan, could possibly be in that group as well if they have a big year. No doubt. It, it's kind of hard to put him on a list like just this um, just because we haven't seen that production from him yet. You know, Rose Ivy coming off the injury and Banderas kind of seeing his playing time fluctuate a little under Bo Pelini. But both those guys are obviously going to be starters this year. I think if they stay healthy, they both have a chance to have big seasons, especially Banderas. Uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised if Josh Banderas is a guy who's at least you know in a in the discussion for a list like this. We should have just went all out Homer mode and had them on there. <laughs> <laughs> no linebacker though. Yeah, Nebraska has a long. I mean, that's a position. A huge question. Huge question. Um, moving back to the secondary one position, not a question is safety for Nebraska. Nathan Gary. Uh, one of the better safeties a year ago. He was second team all Big Ten. You can argue he was good enough to be first team. Um, you know, he's right up there on the top of the safety list right now. Mm-hmm. I think uh, we went with him and Von Bell uh, from Ohio State as the two top safeties. You can really go either way with one of those guys. And then, you know, kind of the other guy that you got to look at is Michael Caputo, who's. <laughs> He's one of those guys who seems like he's been at Wisconsin for about 15 years now, but he's been a productive player throughout his career. You know, he's one of those guys who just comes in and gets the job done. Doesn't, you know, force a lot of turnovers or anything, but he's going to make a lot of tackles. He's going to be in the right place. It's amazing that he's made the transition from playing center at Nebraska to safety at Wisconsin. <laughs> I can't believe he's lost so much weight. Yeah, he's really Good trimmed down and got that extra year of eligibility. <laughs> yeah, pretty incredible. <laughs> that Wisconsin defense, so that, that was one of the more underappreciated units a year ago. And, and we saw it firsthand. I'll be honest, when we went into Madison last year, I didn't give that defense a lot of respect. And um, they totally had their way with Nebraska, and Michael Caputo was a big reason why. Yeah, and, uh, you know, again, it's going to be interesting to see how they transition, you know, back to a 4-3. You know, they experimented with that 3-4, and, uh, you know, it, it, it worked better than I think a lot of people thought. But uh, now they got to go back and change things up. And uh, so, guys, having a guy like Caputo leading the way in the secondary is certainly a bonus. Now, cornerback is a position where Michigan State has had multiple first-round guys, high first-round guys the last couple of years. What do you see at corner? Does Michigan State have anyone else of that caliber? Uh, what, what will the Big Ten have in corner at cornerback this year? Well, there's no doubt Michigan State's going to have some some good cornerbacks. I mean, they they just seem to retool at every defensive position. We actually didn't have any of their individual guys in the top five. I think when you look at cornerback, a school that we haven't mentioned, I don't believe um, yet on this podcast, is Maryland. Will likely is probably the top corner in the Big Ten. He's also one of the top uh, return men. But he came in, um, uh, had six interceptions last year, was, was very good. Minnesota, I think, is another team very underrated defensively. Great secondary yes. comeback. And uh, Brian uh, Body Calhoun is uh, one of their top corners. He could have a really big season. Yeah, he had like five picks last year. You know, I was talking with, uh, you know, our Minnesota guy uh, for Rivals during the the spring recap, and he said this might be Minnesota's best secondary they've ever had in over a hundred years as a program. So that that says everything you need to know about that. They could easily win the West. I know everyone's easily. talking Wisconsin off reputation. Nebraska might have the best schedule draw um, with some of the home games they have. Not a great draw, but home games is what I'd say. But I think Minnesota. They could be the team in Indianapolis if they play to their capability. Uh, they have to open with TCU. That's going to be really interesting mm-hmm. to see uh, what they do. But, guys, uh, this has been fun. Uh, I love getting to the big picture stuff because it lets me know we're getting closer uh, to the start of the college football season. Yeah, every, every day just a little bit closer. That's 
just what you have to keep about a month going. away from Big Ten Media Days, Robbie. Yeah, yeah, we'll be in, sitting in Chicago listening to Mike Riley's official Big Ten debut. G- and we got to make the decision of Lou Malinati's or Giordano's. No, oh, Malinati's all day. I, every I, day. I would agree with that as well. We got to get you over to get a. You haven't had a pizza pot pie yet. No, that's something that we've done the last couple times mm-hmm. in Chicago. It'll Absolutely change your life. fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have another podcast again next week. More interviews from coaches uh, and a lot of recruiting news. But that signs it off here for another edition of the HOL podcast. Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics.